We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Nick Turchin. Today, we're going to break down the Giants and Bears preseason game, preseason week two. But before we do that, I do need to preface it by saying it is 11 o'clock on the East Coast right now. I have a 5 a.m. flight tomorrow to Florida for my new job. I'm pretty pumped for that at the same time. Definitely wanted to get a podcast in because we didn't get it in tonight. We weren't going to get it in all. But I'm prefacing this to just say I am recording this from my phone. I understand the audio may not be as good as we want it to be. We tried to take some strides last week in that. We're going to make more strides the next podcast after this. I'm stepping my game up. I'm buying a big-time mic. Uh, Nick has put me onto one that I got my eye on that I'm, pl- I'm planning to purchase for our next podcast. But I do want to preface by saying we wanted to get this bad boy in before I go for before I you know before I leave for Florida. But we are recording from a phone, so bear with us. We're still going to get you all the goods, but uh, the audio might not be perfect, guys. So thank you for bearing with us. But Nick, how you doing tonight uh, on this Sunday evening? Good. Long day of football. Long day of watching tape and uh, studying some guys that have been interesting. And yeah, uh, ready to go. Yeah, man, I'm definitely ready to go, too. I'm t- ready to take a break. I just did a five or it was like a four and a half hour long grind. My fantasy football auction for my league uh, with my home friends, just in case anyone cares. And I'm not sure they do, but we're going to do it anyway. Real quick, Nick, I will read off my roster. I got James <laughs> Winston for twenty three dollars. The two QB league. I got Kyler Murray for 18. I kept Nick Chubb at 30 at 21. I bought Saquon Barkley at 56. I got Juju Smith-Schuster at 37, so I got some pretty good guys. I'm pretty excited, Nick. I got some of my sleepers, too. Curtis Samuel, Matt Breida, Marvin Jones, Duke Johnson. So I'm definitely pretty excited, Nick, and I did manage to get a giant. So I don't know how you feel about that fantasy team. Are you a fantasy guy, Nick? 
I'm not a fancy guy. It's a jump off. We'll edit that out or not. But I think right <laughs> now we're gonna we're gonna be leaving it in. But yeah, no, not a, not a, not a fancy guy per se. <laughs> we'll see how the fans like it. We we did a little fantasy football here. Get Curtis Samuel in your drafts. Buy the hype, and we'll see where we go from there. But anyway, guys, we're here to talk about Giants football. That's obvious. So we're gonna start this bad boy off with that first Giants possession. We saw a 20-yard crosser from Eli Manning to Cody Latimer. Once again, Cody Latimer continues to prove that he belongs to the NFL level. This is something Nick has been calling for a long time, pretty much since last preseason. And then it was really interesting to see the offensive line, the first-team offensive line, really block well, I thought. I mean, I want to hear what your takes are, Nick, and and we'll get to in a second. But Rod Smith picked up chunks of 17 and 7. Then when they ran for a third straight play in a row, another four yards of Perkins, which to me is fine when you get four. Um, obviously they capped it off with that third and five touchdown of Fowler. So I want to hear from you about that first drive. One, is it something to get excited about for Giants fans? You know, with just Eli and the first team offense. What do you think about what Latimer did, what Rod Smith was able to do, and really that whole first team O-line? Yeah, I think the O-line was kind of the star of that unit. I think, uh, you know, on those big chunk plays you mentioned, the left side, the back side was re- on a lot of those plays was, uh, was really strong and basically creating vertical seams and really saw some power. And at the and good finish at the end of their blocks and just you know some good stuff that you'll see from units that are kind of you know in the second year and how what gelling together looks like and even in a short amount of time what the right side looks like because you have two professionals there kind of kind of kicking on uh, or, or kicking on all cylinders against the uh, kind of the Chicago Bears B team but again I wouldn't look at the talent as kind of the thing there there's they still executed at a high level um, I think overall the drive was solid I think that you know. Guys want to make a lot about how, you know, hey, the quarterback play is going to be elevated because this line is more solidified. And, you know, I'm not trying to, like, be the naysayer here, but just when I rewatched it for the, I guess it would end up being, like, the third time this morning, um, it's just still kind of seeing some stuff from the quarterback, or not not some stuff, just more of the same from last year. Right. Um, you know, where the decision-making is just kind of like, it's adequate at best. I mean, you know, he gets the Tate penalty on the Tate penalty. That almost would have been an interception if the if the ball had actually gone through. He's he's throwing a Manning's throwing a slant with against a inside apex defender that's got massive inside leverage, and like there's just no way that slant route should have been thrown there, um, or just go to the second one. Or or what really should have happened is it was, it was a double it was a double slant with the the third the running back running to the flat. The flat was the play there. Um, and so anyway, so stuff like that, you're still seeing where you're just kind of going like, hey, this is the preseason. You want to see high level execution. You're not really getting that. Um, and yet the drive still works. And that's what that's the beauty of offense, I think, and especially this offense where you're putting guys in space. They have a chance to be able to do things, even if the decision makers and other parts of it aren't exactly kicking on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you look at it, it's like, OK, the Giants have their first team offensive line. Their first team offense, with the exception of the wide receivers and Barkley, obviously. So and Ingram. So I mean, it's really just Eli and the first team offensive line. But it was obviously going against that Bears second team defensive unit. Matt Nagy's a big believer in not playing uh, guys in the preseason or really meaningless games. You saw it last year when the Bears had clinched their playoff spot. So. When you look at it like that, it's hard to get too impressed. And obviously the decision-making is something that, you know, I never really thought would be an issue for me with Eli Manning, but it's something I've personally learned as an analyst over these last two years a lot. You know, working with you, Nick, and reading things on and reading film guys like you who have really put me in tune with, you know, Eli Manning, one of the issues with him, it's not just the fact that he can't escape. It's not just the fact that he you know, he can't really throw off platform. It's really the decision-making within this system. And it's interesting when you see a guy like Jones, and we'll get to Jones, obviously, but who really makes different decisions than Eli within this same system. Um, and really the difference in their play and really 
you know, getting a different guy. The same thing goes for Tanny and Loletta. We're making different decisions with a similar set, you know, a similar system and a similar set of plays. So it's interesting there. Um, I did want to give a t- give a shout out like you did to the offensive line. I mean, I thought Will Hernandez played awesome. He's the one who really stood out to me. And that's just, you know, myself just rewatching the game and trying to focus a little bit on the offensive line. I saw him make a couple awesome plays. Um, and I really think that they're getting more leverage on the ground in the ground game, which is good. Um, but obviously the next drive, is there anything to worry about with the Bears going 55 yards and selling for a field goal? Or that's kind of just good offensive execution? I think, you know, they had a couple, they had a, they had a couple, if I can remember, even chunk plays. Like it really was kind of. No, there's a big penalty too in there. Rough in the uh, yeah, the rough yeah. in the pad on, on Carter when he's getting in yeah. there. You know, ultimately when I see a drive like that, and I kind of come from the stool, when you, if you're going to have an aggressive defense, you're going right. to give up yards. And it's when it gets into that green zone, into the far red zone, can you make the offense? Can you give the offense hesitation? Can you sack the quarterback? Can you basically stop them in their tracks there? Because basically you're going to be taking some risks before then. So if you take risks, you're going to basically give up some yards. And so I just I have that mindset going into defense. So I don't have a problem with giving yards to any offense, no matter who it is, because effectively, if you have Matt Nagy running his most simplistic playbook, you know, his guys are going to execute. That's the bottom line. And, and that's what this whole preseason thing is basically is is a is a is a measure of execution so they executed for a little bit and i think the giants ultimately out executed them holding them to the field goal and really the the first team unit it was it was a few series right that they were in um you know i think they i think they played well yeah i mean we're gonna we can knock them for a first drive but i think like you said first of all matt Nagy's an excellent play caller and has an excellent system my personal opinion and we don't have to get into this nick i don't find mitchell Trubisky to be a quarterback who can consistently throw the ball accurately and on time into spots where he needs to be. So the fact that that offense ran, ran like it did uh, with Trubisky last year impressed me. But then again, like Chase Daniel, you look at a guy who played pretty well, in my opinion, within that offense, given his limited skill set um, last season. So, yeah, after that drive, Nick, the, 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 the Bears were three and out, three and out, four and out, and then a safety. And on two of those drives, they negative yardage so i mean like you said the, the the defense really locked down and i want to touch a little bit more on this defense you know lorenzo carter is someone who caught my attention obviously number 59 he's someone who immediately drew praise from nfl network uh former scout lead draft analyst daniel jeremiah sorry daniel jeremiah who said listen i went to giants training camp and carter was the guy who stood out to me do you think that like from what you saw in this game from what you've been seeing from how much faster he's playing in year two could this like big jump be coming much sooner than we thought with Carter? Could it be a situation where, okay, wow, the breakout, it's more of a breakout season than just a step forward, I should say. I'm still in the step forward camp okay. um, just because of uh, going back to the podcast that we had where we broke down his play to Chicago Bear, um, a similar type profile, Leonard Floyd. And I think that, you know, Carter's length, is a little similar to Floyd's get off is that's like really his strength. Mm-hmm. And you saw that length, that play um, in this game, you know, being able to basically generate some disruption, but you know, still, he's still going to be a second year player. And although he showed some bend and some kind of basically athleticism and flexibility, you know, he still needs to find ways to put those basically to comp to put his hands together and make moves happen to, to corner on, on, on offensive tackles. And that's what he still hasn't done yet because he's a guy with, that doesn't have get off. So he can't rely on that to get, to get any pressure basically. So I think he's got to, he's got to use his length to his advantage is kind of the way to say it. And, you know, guys are going to kind of beat him up. There was that first, that early play on the first drive where um, the bears ran outside zone. And for whatever reason, um, Carter was really soft as a play side right. on the edge. And that was kind of just, it was, I knew I kind of, I don't want to I get into the details. We wanted to see what he was seeing, but it was one of those things where it's like, 
that he still has that issue when he gets run over. He still like his play strength is he can't recover from his play strength to then beat two guys to make the play after he screwed up. When he messes up, it was it was a pretty big hole. Um, and so something, you know, stuff there where you're just, he's, gonna, he's an involving player. And I, yeah, I'm more in the, in the camp that it's going to be small steps forward in a good way because he's got such, such a wide range of talents, basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I should probably have a little bit of reserve judgment for sure on him. But, you know, he definitely stood out to me. Another guy who stood out to me, I mean, you know, I'm going to talk about him until, until he stops impressing me, Nick. I'm going to talk about Ryan Connolly, who played with the first team, obviously, um, in, in Alec Ogletree's place. And I thought, I mean, he drew praise from Shermer. I don't know if you were on board with what Shermer said. Uh, I believe Shermer, did Shermer, do you, do you remember what Shermer said? It was something about his either his first step or, I can't believe I'm forgetting this now, but there was a, there's a quote that Shermer had on Connolly. I'll come back to that, but let's first see, what do you think of Connolly, Nick? Yeah, you know, I think he it's it's the it was similar to my thoughts pregame on him, and you saw it kind of unplay, you know, unfold a little bit in the game. Really good first step, really good disruptor um, when in the fit. So when he sees his his hole that he has to plug, he plugs it very effectively. What you what you want to see at the at, at both the next level and what you kind of wish you saw a little bit more in college is can he get to the ball carrier to get the ball on the ground. Right. And that's where it's it's tough. Now, you need a guy like him to be able to penetrate, to be able to be that high motor guy to basically cause a run to bounce or to help plug a hole. But on a couple of the plays, you know, you just he, it's not that he's out of control. It's that I'm just not sure if he has the body control to be able to basically contort and get his pads on thighs or pads on legs. You see the penetration, but you don't often see the the ball kind of basically getting the ball carrier getting hit and. And that, that's my only hesitation with him outside of the coverage issues. But right now, what I think, again, was I think is really unique is that he's got the high motor. He's got the ability to get downhill really fast. He does that a lot better than Alec Ogletree. And to be fair, he does that a lot better than Goodson even now. Um, so I think that, that that one trait could help him get on first and second downs a fair amount, a fair amount of the time. You know, does it mean he's going to be a three-down player? No. You know, you have a long way to go. Uh, but I think that, you know, as a as a role player slash an early down guy, yeah, I think he'd be pretty effective with a with a complementary piece at the other linebacker position that can cover tight ends, et cetera, et cetera. Fair enough. And I actually found the quote uh, from Shermer, what I was what caught my attention. He said that and you can help explain this to us, Nick, in the layman terms and kind of break it down for, you know, for everybody, really. Um, he said what he likes about Conley as a rookie is that he doesn't have false steps. Do You know what he, exactly what he means by that. No false steps. Yeah, so when you see a running back read his keys, um, if you watch his feet, most running, sorry, running back, linebacker, most linebackers are reading the basically their play side guard to the running back itself to to determine how they're going to fit in the run fit, whether it's a run away or run to, and then whether the flow is fast or slow. Okay, uh, the best the best ways to say it. You rarely see him in college because he's a very high football intelligence player. Read those keys and take even a single step in the wrong direction. That is super fit, super important for being efficient and as well as not being caught out of position to your gap because one step in the wrong way could improve the angle, could hurt your angle to make a play on the ball. So he's putting himself, he's making himself like a very good eligible receiver to make a play on the ball, if you want to think of it that way, um, on a consistent basis. So false steps are something that they they can crush a cornerback's career. Um, at, the linebacker, at the linebacker level, 
position, it can be a little different. I think you can see guys that have crazy athleticism. Their first step almost doesn't matter. And a guy I look at is a guy like Devin White from LSU. That guy was so fast, it didn't matter. Hmm. And the way Dave Aranda had his guys playing, it's like there was any movement in the backfield, he was just going. And he was allowed to go because of the, what where his assignment was in the run fit. Other guys, when you play more, basically, I want to say discipline, but when you have a guy playing roles where they have to fit that gap and it's an important gap, um, they have to take it, that first step has to be very clean and consistent, and it makes everything else kind of fit if you th- if you think of it that way. Okay, interesting. That's definitely not definitely something new to me. Um, moving on, real quick, we're gonna before we dive into the Daniel Jones stuff, and we will get to that. There were a couple other things I wanted to hit. Um, Shermer gave a little bit of praise to uh, his two running backs who played mostly in this game with the first team. That was Rod Smith. And Paul Perkins, I, you know, you know me, I'm a big time Paul <laughs> Perkins guy. When he made that juke move on the on the screen pass and took it for 26, I was pumped because I think this guy's got juice. Um, and I'm always looking for juice at the running back position. I'm not a big believer in the churner types, the guys who get what's taken. But at the same time, a couple nice runs for Rod Smith. What did you see from both of those two? You know, kind of, kind of the same. You know, definitely, it's great to see Perkins when he gets going. He kind of can, he can really get going. And yeah, I think it's someone that. He has that. He looks like a back that he needs 15 touches, and and pass or run, you know, to get involved. The more he's involved, the more he's going to play better. Um, I, you know, I liked what I saw from Smith. He obviously had the fumble, so the ball security. You know, right. there's, there there were what eight fumbles in the game. You know, that's yeah. it's a preseason game. Look, if you fumble, you're going to have a problem. Um, so that's 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 kind of that's something that he's got to clean up. But the one thing I like about it about Smith is he's he's sneaky athleticism. And I think he's a little bit more reliable in the pass game because even the pe- the catches that Perkins has, he has that habit of catching the ball with his body. And yep. that, caused, that caused a drop earlier. I'm not saying they're going to cut him because of it, but if you're going to have a high-volume passing attack, dumping off screens, you've got to have that. You can't have that. And so um, yep. I, I think that that's something to kind of watch. And I think that – but I think what's interesting, though, is he's obviously more of an explosive potential than Smith. Um so I think it's it's kind of it goes kind of both ways, and they're they're two different types of backs. And I ultimately think both can make the team, uh, but I understand kind of they're 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 in kind of a neck and neck competition right now. Yeah, I'm actually not sure what's going to happen with that from a roster standpoint. I will say this: the first time Perkins did jump onto the scene, it was with that 64-yard screen pass in the Minnesota Vikings game um, during his rookie season. And really, he has been a guy who's definitely excelled and showed a lot of juice on those screens. But maybe being a one-trick pony type of guy is just not going to be enough. We'll see what happens there. Um, and I don't want to get too high on this defense, Nick, even though they did pretty much shut down. Uh, you know, Chase Daniels, who was a guy who, again, moved the ball within a good system last year. Um, and obviously, you know, you have to factor in that the Bears are playing their backups. But, you know, I think there has been, at least for me, a noticeable difference this preseason, having safeties like Jabril Peppers and especially Antoine Bethea back there instead of Collins and and uh, Curtis Riley. I mean, first of all, Peppers did an excellent job, on, on, and you you detailed this on, on Twitter, so you can get back into this, of saying with his, staying uh, in coverage and making a play on the ball when the when the Bears ran, I believe it was kind of like a wheel route in his direction. You can kind of break mm-hmm. that down further. Um, and then just Bethea, you talked about too. You liked what you saw, and I really like what I've seen from him so far this preseason. That doesn't surprise me. I was insanely high on Bethea, according to Twitter. You know, Giants fans bashed me for being so high on him. Obviously, he's an older guy, but I just knew he was a legitimate NFL caliber starting safety. He played like it last year for the Cardinals. He certainly played like it in 2017 with Betcher, his last season with Betcher with Arizona, where I thought he was awesome, like legitimately a top 15 safety in the NFL. So what have you seen from those two, and is that a reason to get excited about the defense potentially? 
I think that with a lot of their one high coverages that they run, the middle of field safety, the range of that player is very, very important. Um, because basically what's going on is the, the slot receivers, the, um, the defenders who are responsible for them, whether it's zone, match, or man, are basically relying on that one high safety for vertical help and help capping in the inside space uh, down the field. You know, last year I was someone who kind of, you know, explained the upside of Curtis Riley and really the, his upside or his the reason he was on the field was his football intelligence and his ability to get guys lined up and understand the defense. But, you know, one thing I kind of missed on him was that his his range was really it was not his his range specifically too in breaking off the ball from the quarterback's hand is, is a funky trait. It's not nearly as easy as people think and when you take corners and you convert them to the free safety as love's going to kind of find out i think he's going to be better but it's it's not it's just not something that's seamless because they're out alone and they're in very very deep space most of the time i uh, just one thing that you're noticing even though it is preseason tape so it is broadcast tape you're noticing bethea around the ball a lot more and on that one reverse right he was actually the guy who made the play on the ball and it's like yeah that's that's what you need is the guy who can understand what's happening in front of him and react as fast as possible. We call that play speed. What does it take to for him to process what he sees and then basically put the boots on the ground and get going wherever he needs to get going? Uh, so I definitely think that's the case there. And and Peppers, yeah, Peppers, they Peppers is kind of interesting because I think they're they're obviously Betcher is kind of hiding a lot of what he's doing, especially since the teams they're playing in the preseason are teams they're going to play you know later in the regular right. season, which really sucks. But he had Peppers around the line of scrimmage a lot. I don't think he's going to be that close that often in this season just because Peppers is kind of like a high-octane. He's very physical. He's, he's solid in the fit, but he's not a guy that's, I don't think, really big enough yet or someone who you want to – he's, he's almost more of a penetrator than he is a finisher, almost a little bit like Connolly. And so I think he's – I think Betcher was putting him in a difficult place. I think he played well in that difficult place, was able to make some stops on the run, was able to keep his leverage really, really good. Um, I just think that it's one of those things where he's going to be back and he's going to be off the line of scrimmage a lot more and maybe covering tight ends a little bit more too. Uh, so, but both those guys, I think it's a big step up because when I say big step up, it's it's different than Landon Collins because I still don't think they have that, that truly a versatile player to do what Collins can does. But again, we kind of outlined this, everything from the second tier on, I think that Peppers' his range and his ability, his, his athleticism is in space. He doesn't have to come downhill where Collins' right. strength was coming downhill. So it, I think th- those two different things are going to m- allow better more interchangeable pieces in the back end than, than they were last year. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think he has more range than Collins. I'll say that right now. I think that he's built a little differently than Collins. His body type is a little different. Um, and I think it's, like you said, I'm excited about it because I think, first of all, you got a veteran like Pathea, who I've obviously talked about. You just broke down, Nick. But I think, like you said, the key there is, the most important thing you said, is that they're inter- more interchangeable than they were last year. And that, to me, is going to give Betcher a lot more options. But let's move on. Obviously, we got to get to Daniel Jones. How, how have we gotten this long without talking Daniel Jones, Nick? Um, obviously, Daniel Jones, in my opinion, he had an excellent game. I know he had the two fumbles. We're going to get to that. There were negatives because of those. Uh, he had a drop pass. He was 11 to 14 for 161 yards passing and a touchdown uh, with one drop pass, uh, a clear drop. He had uh, a ball that, you know, we a ball, a, a, an underthrown ball, all the tape that we're going to get to, something we saw in his tapers do, something we talked about in the Dan Jones podcast, Nick, um, just dating it back. He had a fumble, which is something you saw maybe a little bit of an issue with at Duke. I want to talk about that. He had, well, he had two fumbles. The first one to me is just not, I'm not worried about that one at all. 
Uh, and then he had one more incomplete pass. So I'll start with the good, Nick. Um, the two throws that stood out to me. The first was the crosser to Britton Golden. I mean, can you talk about why this play might seem simple uh, just from watching it and seem like an easy crossing route? But in reality, it's like a really good sign for Jones specific to what Pat Shermer's entire system is. Yeah, sure. So let's just let's look, look at the situation to start. It's third and five. Right. And for Giants fans that watched third and five last year, uh, or third and medium, I'll call it last year, the Giants ran a lot of mesh or Chip Kelly mesh, it's called, where you have two crossers coming from opposite sides of the field and then a third wide receiver, usually the tight end or the or the inside slot, running what's called a sit a sit route over the ball, where he kind of runs like a, an angled curl route that goes right over the midline of the offense, right over the center's line would be if he looks straight out up the field and sits down over there. And he's basically the the third or fourth option, depending on how you're kind of looking at it. Um, so the Giants run this play, but it's not this play exactly. It's it's a it's a very similar play called shallow cross. And so shallow cross is the same thing, but just without the two crossers, it's just one crosser and the sit route. And that two-person combo is a high-low read on the basically the second tier of the defense. And if the second tier favors one or the other, the quarterback basically throws the other. So it's kind of like an if-then read on the middle of the field. And um, I just couple things number one i like the way jones like jones throws a runner's ball and he throws yep. a very catchable runner's ball while he makes this decision and the yeah, giants let's back up for a second just for those who don't know what exactly do you mean by a runner's ball so i was sitting with greg cosell and he's he's like a he's like a he's all he does is spit out really good quotes and one of the one of the things he says to me, he's like i don't know about you nick but i've always considered run after catch a function of the quarterback and not the receiver and literally just like write this like it's the, just how he is how he talks on the show and literally I'm just like writing this stuff down as he's speaking and what that means in terms of runner's ball is that, or can you throw a ball that's out in front of the wide receiver that is up near his basically near his head or out in front of him where he could then run into and catch the ball and not lose his stride yep. and it's it's we're hitting on something that I know is 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 to be let's be frank is Eli Manning's weakness um, it's just some guys are better at throwing certain types of routes. John Kitna had a great bit on how Tony Romo is really good at throwing routes that terminate in space, like hitches, curls, and stuff. But when guy, he didn't really like throwing crossers as much. It's really interesting to, to hear his backup quarterback talking about him, you know, years after the fact. But it, everyone has their strengths, everyone has their weaknesses. Uh, effectively, whether it's the air raid, whether it's it's the West Coast, <laughs> however you want to label the offense. The Shermer runs crossers, and he likes doing that a lot. And, and one of the biggest things he uses them to is to outflank the defense. So that's what happened on this play. They got a little lucky because of the play call. They really kind of matched up. They didn't, you know, Shermer didn't game plan that, and it, it led to an explosive play, so a pass play over 20 yards. And it's just something that the more you allow for runners' balls in this offense, the more you allow the yeah. the, the, the chance for run after catch. And you don't need. And I'm not going to say this like like it it makes the OBJ trade worth it. But you don't need someone who's super explosive to do that because your guy's going to be in space already. And it's an issue if you're not throwing those balls because then effectively the runner has to start all over again or most often gets tackled. So that's where that kind of play comes in as, as a significance. And it's something that absolutely shown in Duke. Jones was went through times where he was inaccurate. But when he was accurate, he throws a very catchable ball. Bottom line, it's something that the, the Giants fans should be excited about. Yeah, no doubt about it, Nick. And it's a couple interesting things you mentioned there. 
one, that it's kind of, you know, something as Shermer, you know, when he got the job with Giants, he mentioned, you know, my offense is really a combination of what I've picked up over the years. And he did mention that some of it was from what he learned uh, when he was offensive coordinator for Chip Kelly with the Eagles, when they had Nick Foles for that 27 touchdown to interception year for Foles. And, you know, a lot of what he does, like you said, is conducive to quarterbacks who can throw a runner's ball. And so that's why, you know, you look again, why did the Giants draft Daniel Jones at six? Why? Well, they like how he fits this system. They like, and just like, I think you retweeted this, Nick. I think it was Jordan retweeted. Stop calling quarterback system quarterbacks. Like, obviously, the Giants are drafting a player, obviously, for this specific system. Like, they're trying to fit players at every position, really, not just quarterbacks. But um, to me, that was definitely an exciting throw. Obviously, another one we want to get to. Before, actually, we get to the touchdown throw, Nick, did you find any other throws to be, you know, uh, maybe not, not not as exciting but interesting from Jones? I know he hit early on. He hit, I believe, Fowler for a 17-yarder on what looked like maybe an RPO play. It was that slant play uh, that Fowler kind of took after the catch. You can clear my, you can clear me up on that one and then, you know, answer the question if anything else throw-wise stood out to you. No, um, and that play, I think that play may have been play action. Um, yeah, I, maybe it was play action. I might be re- misremembering it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but I mean, nothing. I mean, what, what really stood out to me, the bigger factor, was that some that basically things went wrong, like we talked about last week. He then made his his mistakes on his own, which is important because the preseason is the time to make mistakes. Preseason right. is the time to test what throws you can and can't make. And this that wasn't really him doing this. That was him. <clears throat> having some mistakes pop up that we saw from his college tape. And then he overcomes that and leads a drive for a score at the end of the half. That's, that's, that's the exact script that you want. You don't really want him necessarily to go five for five and to coast through the preseason and then sit on the bench for four weeks. You know, like I, I want to see the adversity. I want to see sure. him tested. And I think that he was, and, and that, that's what, that was the biggest factor to me. And I know people talk about all oh, like the intangibles, everyone's just harping on the intangibles. It's like, that's, what's really important you know, I, I think people that watched the game, like he didn't really do anything wrong per se. The game came at him when for those for those two fumbles and, and stuff happens. And, you know, he's going to want to learn how to adjust, et cetera, et cetera. We can kind of get into that. But ultimately, it's like mistakes are going to be made. And, and that was that was the key for this game. Yeah. And on that note. But also, Nick, I wanted to know before we touch on the touchdown pass, I did want to know if you if I, if you maybe you thought I was getting too far ahead of myself. I like the ball he threw the on the screen pass. I know we've talked a lot about how screens have just kind of been a dead for this offense, in my opinion, with Eli last year. I'm sorry to say it, Eli. I'm sorry to say it to all the supporters, but screen game could be a lot more when you have a guy like Barkley and a coach like uh, Shermer who likes to use it and used it well in Minnesota with Keenum. Did you think that that was anything that stood out that screen pass, or it's kind of just, you know, you've seen that from Eli too? Yeah, no, and that was, I mean, again, we know that Eli's a little weaker there, but that to me was 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 Jones doing what Jones does. And, and okay. yeah, no, yeah, and so I'm good with that, but it wasn't something that really kind of stood out at per se. Yeah, I'm not saying it stood out to me, but I did think it was put in a good spot and it gave Perkins really the best chance he could have to obviously get the 26 yards he did. But let's talk about, obviously, the second and two play. You know, Jones takes a snap, looks off to his right a little for a second to hold the safety. And then really, in my opinion, just puts an absolutely perfectly placed pinpoint ball. If you watch the replay, I was there at the stadium. Actually, it was the first time I've been to the stadium in four years. Um, so me and my brother were there watching that play. And that we were there uh, on that side of the field. And that ball really just dropped in, into my opinion, a perfect spot with a perfect tight spiral. Is it too, is it, am I getting too excited about this throw? Because that throw to me was super impressive. Yeah, no, I think for him, it, it gets back to his ability, you know, his ability to throw touch passes, whether it be a short fade right. or a deep fade, that's that's his strength. Anything where 
touches needed, he's he's kind of he's he's pretty good. It's where other things are needed, or if it's more of a timing thing, specific timing thing, where he can struggle at times. But no, that throw was something where it was a good rhythm fade, um, a good rhythm pylon fade. People may not realize, but when you throw from the far red zone, when you throw routes that are um, that are vertical in the in that part of the red zone, your timing is always have to be always has to be cut off a little bit because if you think about it, he's throwing from the 14 yard line. And he wants to throw like a 12 yard fade. It's like hitting a it's like hitting a 60 yard wedge when your full wedge is 100 yards and you're half a wedge. Like you get into a real feel thing, and when the pressure's on, it can be very difficult to drop that in there. Um, and that's something where it was really kind of cool to see him do that, where you knew that, hey, like that's not something that he's not going to be throwing those 14 or fade distances all the time or whatever, wherever it was. And so that's that's what I, you know, that that's the upside of his game is anytime where there's touch, you know, he, he's going to be there. For sure. And then we can get to the negatives, too. Obviously, you want to if you want to talk about the fumbles, the ball security issues, but also, you know, a play we saw a little bit in college. I remember this was that concerned me and you also saw it when you watched Jones tape it's when he's kind of drifting a little bit trying to throw to his left side stares down the receiver and in college he had a play like this where he took you know four I think it was like four or five inches while drifting to the left and he should have been picked he wasn't picked on this play he kind of underthrew it at Jones's uh, I'm sorry at Golden Tate's legs what did you think is that just an issue that he's just going to have to work on kind of that crow hop drift to the left yeah ultimately that's that's something is that, that just he... reps is that just more reps will help that or what I think that's reps and it's a mental okay. thing. It, it's not an arm strength thing. Um, no. You know, this is not something too where it was like one or two plays. This was pretty consistent. That throws okay. to his left from the ten to twenty yard range, especially on outs. He just he has these issues. He created sacks. He created pass deflections. All that's all that kind of thing because of that. And you know, guys don't. A lot of people on Twitter didn't really want to hear that. Um, but ultimately, I think it's really interesting because look, the tape is the tape. And when you start seeing improvements, that's when that's when it's cool and you know that good coaching is going on. And that's what I think can happen. And what we saw on this play was he took two extra hitches and basically short armed a ball. Well, that's a lot better than it was in some play in some ways in college, right? Where he was throwing interceptions or basically like throwing way too late. And right. so ultimately like I'm I look at that as everything like everything's a stepping stone, right? And so the next time when he goes to make that throw to the left after something bad has happened. So when he's kind of thrown on, you know, he's got his back against the wall a little bit, you know, is he gonna maybe overhitch once and be just a little late next time? And you're gonna see more and more in the improvement. I think that's what that's what reps do, especially when you get them live in a game against an opposing team. So, you know, although I highlighted it like on Twitter with you know giving all the background for it, I'm doing it to show that this is no one likes to track player development in this league from a media perspective because no one has the no one has the fundamentals to be able to do it or very few people do. And it's just it kind of stinks and it's a grind and it's one of those things that guys don't want to do as much. But I find it really fascinating because ultimately that's going to kind of make or break his ability as a pocket passer, I think, is to become more to move more into a solidified role at getting through his second and third read. And so as we see that, we'll, we'll see it go through and we're going to kind of track it. But it's one of those things where, yeah, I definitely think there can be improvement there because, again, I think it's reps and I think it's mental. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely if there's one problem for him to have and it's reps and mental, I think that's a good one because he's going to get both. He's going to get the reps and I think he's got the mental aptitude. Is there anything else you want to touch on with Daniel Jones before we move on to a few other players? No, no, I think, you know, again, they'll still a low rep count. Just continue to watch and to continue to kind of note these things and kind of and go from there. 
Yeah. I mean, I will say this before we move on. For me personally, I am, I've am i been pretty impressed this preseason, Nick. I know I don't want to get too crazy about the preseason, but I think he's been super confident and decisive in his reads and where he's going with the ball, which I really like. And for the most part, I think he's made the right decisions. I think that's bored out in the results. I mean, obviously, this, this guy's thrown three incompletions and one was a drop, um, and he's made some really good throws. I also think that... Um, Really, the ball's come out of his hands a lot better than I thought it would, Nick. I'll be honest with you. It looks a lot, it looked a lot different to me when I watched him on Duke, on tape at Duke. Um, obviously, you know, he was playing with a lot a lot different supporting cast there. The offensive line is just not going to be as good at Duke as it is even now, and it's still a work in progress. Like, the Giants could easily stand to benefit at right tackle and center, even though I like what I've seen from Remmers. But, I mean, it's still just night and day for me. Uh, for what he got at Duke, but but we'll see what happens there with the development. We're just at this point, we're both just Jones and for more, and no no pun intended. We're both just Jones and for more jo- Jones reps. Um, <laughs> let's talk about another Jones actually, so I can continue this awful awful joke and pun um, that I've been going with, and that's T.J. Jones. I mean, T.J. Jones has been impressive. Let's be honest, they picked him up because they had injuries to every single wide receiver they counted on. And Jones is a guy who impressed with the Lions like a couple years ago. I remember him on my fantasy radar out of the slot as like a guy who was just racking up receptions for PPR League. Um, and then he kind of faded, and now he's back with the Giants. What did you see from Jones? Is he someone who can make this roster? Yeah, I definitely saw that. I watched three of his games from last year and every completion, uh, and then a little bit of his 17 tape today, okay. uh, or yesterday, whenever that was. These are all, are, are all jumbled together. Um, anyway, it's he's an interesting dude, six feet, 190 pounds. He's a little faster than than you originally realize. Um, he's got where his to cut him down really short and just make it kind of a nice button button up thing is that he's very good at the catch point and he's got a very good catch radius for a guy that you wouldn't necessarily expect it with from a guy who basically you know is is, is it was on one team but was basically released from a team. I think that more had to do with the wide receiver depth on that team grow. And it's one of those things like when you get guys that come in that are better than you, then you ultimately kind of fall on the death chart. And that's basically what happened. Um, his issues are kind of release and overall flexibility. He doesn't really sink his hips that much in his, in his routes. He's not a very detailed route runner, but he's that guy that, you know, to be honest, he's got enough speed to take the top off of some defenses, I think. And I think ultimately, you know, he played a fair amount of X last year at Detroit. You know, he his body control along the sideline and and on and and not necessarily high pointing balls, but basically helping his quarterback out. One of the Jones is one of the Jones completions to him. Jones really threw it behind him and he made a nice stab. And he did that a lot in his 18 tape. So something that, you know, I think he can be wide receiver for at the way the depth chart stands now. Um, I think it's one of those things. Yeah, when everyone's back and healthy, is he going to be getting a lot of targets? No. But I think that, you know, right away you have a veteran player um, who's I think he's more solidified at the position than when the Giants started um, this, you know, this offseason, basically. So, you know, I do see him as kind of like an upgrade because of, of really his reliability. Uh, and I think when you couple him with Fowler, they're two very different wide receivers. But I think they have very important traits that you want to have at that kind of back end slot. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. He's definitely impressed me, Nick. And, you know, I it's the preseason again. I have to preface this, and I have to bring myself back to reality at times. But, I mean, if this preseason has taught me one thing, Nick, about this team and about roster building in the NFL, it's really like I just I just have no interest in, 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 in I'm sorry, investing assets, valuable assets at the wide receiver position. I mean, I like guys. I mean, it's good to have a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. It's nice. I don't think it's necessary for this system. I don't think it's necessary for any system. You look at the Patriots who now have 
have Jacoby Myers coming up as an undrafted free agent. They now have Josh Gordon coming back, who they got for nothing in a trade. I mean, they're, they've been using no assets to build a wide receiver corps for years, and it's been working out extremely well for them. Uh, if you have the right system, if you have the right quarterback to deliver within that system, and I mean, especially for a team like the Giants, who no one really understands. I mean, they have Evan Ingram, a wide receiver first tight end, a receiving first tight end, and Saquon Barkley at skill positions. That's already enough. Like, it's already more than most people are investing. That's two first-round picks. Uh, at, the, at at in the skill position, so you know if that's I, I, I'll say this. I've been impressed with the receivers, Nick, and I think they're all fighting for fighting for these same jobs, and they're playing really well. So that's just something that's definitely stood out to me about the way this roster is moving forward. Um, and obviously, I think the Giants agree with that process. Um, before we get before we close out, Nick, I did want to get your thoughts on another player who kind of seemed like he stood out to you again from a blocking standpoint. That's C.J. Conrad. Is that correct? Yeah, no, I think he had, you know, a couple guys focused on the drops that he had. And there, there are two contested catches. One of them was a penalty. Right. The other one was a contested catch. You're not going to win every contested catch. It wasn't really a drop per se. Um, you know, what I really liked was just him in the run game against the defensive end. That's basically his size or a little bigger. And he's able to run the guy on the ground. Uh, coming off the backside, he really got that Hill, that Hillman, Hillman touchdown from uh, the Rutgers yep. kid. And so, um, you know, kind of. Again, I know he has been bumped up really, you know, higher really than Dickerson lately. And Dickerson's a solid run blocker. I just think that Conrad's ceiling is going to be a little bit higher. And people don't realize that in the quick game, you're going to want that type of tight end too. That's that's a that's a dual threat in run or pass and is reliable over the middle um, versus just the guy who's really kind of like you know the the guy with the upside and the speed of Evan Ingram. Um, it's it's going to be important to make this offense click, especially if you want to run 12 personnel a lot. Uh, so I think that's – and the other side of it too is they moved him around a lot in the backfield in Kentucky, and he's he's fully able to do that. And it just adds another dimension when you have that movable gap in right. the backfield that you can motion across very, very easily. Um, so stuff like that, yeah, I, I'm kind of excited, kind of jacked up, and I think that it's going to be end up, it's going to be one of the kind of underrated parts of the Giants draft. Yeah, we're going to be really high on, the, on ZJ Conrad, so we're going to see what happens with that, um, obviously, because I know throughout this entire process, really, me and Nick have been high on him, so that's definitely interesting. Before we uh, – is there anyone else you wanted to touch on? We didn't really touch too much on the corners. Anyone – anything – I mean, obviously, the Giants weren't playing with their, what we think will be their day one cornerback. See, Andre Baker was out uh, from this game. Anything that, that stood out to you from that position? Uh, no, on the, you know, on the DB side, uh, no, you saw, um, you saw Ballantyne get turned around a little bit in the far red zone slash the green zone and give up a completion that led to the right. field goal right before half. I mean, you know, you're, I, it's, it's great to be jacked up on him and I am jacked up on him, but you're still going to, you know, he's still going to give up completions. You're still going to, all the corners are going to give up completions and, uh, ultimately it's like the way he played. Um, yeah, on the defensive side, it was really kind of. When I watched it the second time, it was just overall solid play, but there wasn't a lot of craziness that stood out to me. You know, the sacks were mostly motor-driven, pure sack yeah. motor that way. X-Mans was that way. They exploited that left tackle for his use of hands a few times, both uh, Golden and X-Man uh, for sacks there. So good stuff there, but nothing, again, nothing crazy. Golden is a guy, a good player, but he's not going to have a lot of moves. He's a high-motor guy, and he's just an intense dude. And, that he's shown that you can have an NFL career, a very good NFL career doing that. Uh, but I still think that they got to kind of find those other ways to basically create disruption. Um, and yeah, I think that was solid. I think one thing I kind of took a, a deeper look at was Nick Gates's tape um, from Nebraska two years ago on back shifting back to the offensive side now. And it was just kind of interesting because 
his preseason tape, I think, has been like pretty good. And guys think that he's, you know, there's there's a overall pretty positive buzz there. The coach has called him out a few times, and you know, it's kind of interesting. I didn't realize though he's got some pretty strong limitations, and he's a guy that although he's got this positive buzz, I'm just not sure where he's going to fit. So he's got very good athleticism. He's got very good lateral lateral agility. He's got very quick feet. He can mirror match anyone that he and climb to anyone of any size and basically get his hands on him. For those that don't know, in the offensive line, that's really impressive. Most most offensive linemen cannot climb or struggle climbing to the second tier and actually getting their hands on guys. It's very very difficult when you're that big. So he's very good there. His anchor though, and his sets, and his he's got a pretty weak inside hand. Those are all pretty big red flags for a guy fundamentally trying to make it in the league. So the trick is he has 32-inch arms, which are really pretty short. The length of the arm doesn't always really matter as such, but the way he plays is very, very important. You can have 33-and-a-half-inch arms and play like they're 34-and-a-half, 35, but the way you fix your stance and the way you engage with your hands, where that's okay. He is not that guy. He plays like his hands are 28 inches. And it's one of those things where he really struggles. He leans with his head. He gets knocked off balance often. And you see it in college and you see it a little bit in the NFL. And again, I think, you know, when you really kind of watch it, it you kind of notice it, in this, especially in this pass game. So he's either a guy that's going to bump inside to be a guard and get some sand in his pants and be able to improve his anchor, which I think is the most likely scenario. I don't see him being able to stick outside, um, especially against the speed in this league and especially against with a weak inside hand on the left side. You know, he may be left-handed, so maybe switching sides with help. But I, I just – it was something that was kind of really – kind of interesting to me because I, I at first when I saw him he was tall I saw his his stances was pretty good I thought he'd have a much better anchor and that's not really the case and the only reason why I bring him up is it's funny to see him rise in the depth chart on a team like the Giants not because it's wrong or bad but you see the treat the traits that they like and you see the traits that they don't necessarily value as much and I think this is something that's happening this league this year to this team they're finding their identity and their identity is drafting more guys that are maybe not technically sound but have athleticism and range, and you can kind of coach them up. That's how I see Big George. That's how I see his tape. He's a guy who's got a lot of – he's got some interesting quirks, but he's super athletic. He hasn't played a snap in the preseason yet, right? So no one really knows what what he is yet, but I find him – I find this all as a strict – or as an interesting contrast to Paul Adams, the guy who I've been kind of pumping a little bit on the third string. And he's – in that last drive, if anyone stayed up and – care to watch the very final drive that they have he adams and bunch i think is the guy on the left side the left guard they yeah, were, Malcolm bunch yep. they were murdering dudes on the on that final drive and it was one of those things where it's like it was it was a very downhill type zone scheme that they were running but they were just basically taking their dudes and burying them the ground on a on a consistent play and play out basis adams has massive limitations there's a reason why he's a third stringer but I just find it interesting where it's like I think the Giants are moving more towards a zone-based scheme where athleticism, range, and lateral agility are going to be the traits. They'll be able to figure everything else out. I'm making such a long point about this is because that was not the message a year ago. That was not the message on who Will Hernandez was as a power puller. I would make the case that I think that Zeitler is very agnostic, scheme agnostic, but he's more of a downhill type guy. I think the Giants want guys that are more athletic. Not that they don't want those two players, but they're going to ask those two players to run a predominant zone zone scheme like last year, and it's not the running game is not going to have a big shift or not a big evolution to become a, to become truly multiple. It's not neither right nor wrong. It's just what they're choosing. And so I think as they make these decisions on the back end, you can really kind of look forward to what they're going to be doing. Yeah.
A lot of great stuff on the offensive line there, in-depth stuff for those who are into that kind of thing. Interesting point you mentioned with Gates, too, because this week uh, in the first practice back after the preseason game, they kicked Gates back to the inside. So maybe they're seeing a lot of the same things that you're seeing, Nick. Um, Just an interesting point there. Obviously, you mentioned Big George, who hasn't had a chance to play yet this preseason, had a concussion that's kind of, you know, kept him out for a while here. So the Giants are going to hope to get him back because they need to see some snaps from him. I don't think his roster spot is guaranteed if he doesn't play at all this preseason. I know it seems ridiculous because they obviously traded. I mean, they obviously liked him a lot, I should say. But I'm not sold on that being the case, uh, depending on what happens this preseason. I think he's going to need to get in there a little bit. Uh, Nick, before we go, is there anyone else you wanted to touch on? Do we cover kind of everything there? No, no, I'm good, man. I think uh, <laughs> I think I watched enough Gates tape and watched enough of the offensive line. Yeah. Ready, for, ready, ready for the third week and in the third matchup and ready to see a couple guys kind of maybe take, take them strides and be able to solidify their spots. And the guys that can't, you know, they can't. And then see what the first team does. All, all good stuff. Yep. It is. It will be. I'm excited for it, too. Guys, thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us today. Obviously, we did this on. I did this one on a phone for the first time. Promise when we come back next week, I will be upgraded sound-wise. So I'll be excited to get back into my home and do it from there. Again, guys, if you do enjoy the podcast, do help us out by doing the easiest thing you can do, which is just rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. You can hit the subscribe button and make sure you download instead of just listen to download every single podcast. That's a big help for us. So if you just rate, download, subscribe, and tell your friends, it's all we ask. And that's all we will ever ask from you guys. And we really do appreciate the strong following we've, we've built. Uh, thanks to you guys over time. I know you guys love this kind of analysis. I love bringing it. I love delivering it. And I love setting Nick up to deliver because he is the man when it comes to this type of analysis. I learn something every time. I learn something today. Learn something when we talk off pod. So definitely all good stuff. Excited about what's to come for this Giants team. To me, this team feels and looks like a better roster than it was last year, especially if they do make that move at quarterback sooner than expected. But more on that to come. Guys, we will speak to you after the third preseason game. Have a great night, and as usual, go Giants. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.